standing for the reading of Scripture in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. Godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, wisdom from above and wisdom from below, are categorically different and essentially contradictory. They're not from the same source, they're not for the same purpose, and they are ethically inconsistent. And James gives us uh, undeniable examples, uh, indisputable examples of those things uh, in his writing. Uh, when I say ethically inconsistent, I, I want you to understand that, yes, uh, our way of living, the way it translates into our actions between wisdom from above, godly wisdom, and wisdom from below, worldly wisdom, they are ethically inconsistent. They don't mix together. But there's another aspect of that, and that James is writing to Christian believers. He's writing to the visible church and he's writing to us and, and challenging us on our ethical inconsistencies. That we live inconsistent with wisdom from above, in faith, in obedience, believing and obeying God instead of giving into the pressures of the world and beginning to think and speak and act like the world. There is that tension that exists as an ethical inconsistency in our Christian life. Here's a passage from the Westminster Confession of Faith that I, I go back to very often. I, I just listen to how full it is. Works done by unregenerate men. This is under the chapter of good works. And the fact that unsaved people can do things that are good, humanly speaking. Works done by unregenerate, unregenerate men, although for the matter of them, they may be things which God commands. Outwardly? Even unregenerate, unsaved people can do things that agree with what God says. They can be of uh, good use both to themselves and others. Humanly, they can do things that are helpful and good for themselves and helpful and good for others. Yet, because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith, going to the source, going to the core. What motivates? Where do these works come from? Not purified by faith. They're not done in a right manner according to the Word of God. They're not doing it because the Word of God says to do it. Nor are done in a, uh, in, to a right end, the glory of God. That's not the goal. That's not the focus and purpose and intent from unsaved people. And therefore, they are sinful. Even their good works are sinful before God and cannot please God or make a man or a person meet to receive grace from God and yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing unto God. I did add a note there, if you'll see, in that uh, cannot make a person meet. I, I was, thought that was interesting, and so I began to look it up, and I actually found a reference from um, a Random House Dictionary that in the 1620s, uh, uh, in the same general time period, 
uh, mid-1600s of the uh, Westminster Assembly, the term meet meant and was used in this way, to meet halfway. And so that, that adds uh, agreement to what they're writing there that trying to do these good works because they don't come from a heart-purified faith, they're not done in a right manner according to the Word of God, and they're not done to a right end, the glory of God, they cannot make a person meet God halfway. Very powerful and important uh, point to be made uh, from Scripture. This is what uh, the Apostle Paul writes of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Wisdom from above comes from God. God, uh, in Christ Jesus, became for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What is the right end of our desiring godly wisdom? The glory of God. And so this is what Paul says about the mediating ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as our wisdom. Wisdom from God. We see it differently than the world. The world doesn't see Jesus from God. We see Jesus as God coming from God and made for us uh, the revelation of who God is in wisdom. And therefore it is uh, affected in us in righteousness and sanctification and redemption that we might glorify God rightly. So perhaps the most helpful application of the difference between wisdom from below and wisdom from above, from godly wisdom and ungodly wisdom is the mediating ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sanctification, transforming us in our hearts and minds and souls and bodies. The ongoing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator and the wisdom of God. That My prayer and desire is that the message this morning and these previous messages about wisdom from above has that effect of God's engaging you in a way of faith of transformation faith in sanctification. Setting your mind apart more and more to the holiness and the glory of God. To think more and more God's thoughts after Him. To think more and more of what's commanded in the Word of God. To think more and more in terms of obeying and following and chasing out the voices of the world and the, the way the world thinks and the, the way the world talks and the way the world acts. We're in a fight. <laughs> We're in conflict with the world every day. And so the mediating ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we appreciate that enough? We speak of it in terms of Christ mediating through his means of grace and worship. But it's to go with us. What you receive in the corporate worship of God is to go with you by God's means of grace. What we receive in this Lord's Supper, very tangibly uh, giving us a promise of the mediating ministry of Jesus Christ and our having a right relationship with God is to go with us out the doors and into that everyday conflict that we have against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul goes on to write, he writes this in Ephesians, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. It's not that we want to be puffed up in intellectualism, but the knowledge of God in, in terms of how we may glorify and please Him. Godly wisdom from above comes through the Holy Spirit. And that's why James lists, you'll see here in verse 18, mirrors Jesus' beatitudes and Paul's fruit of the Spirit and agape love in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you should go home after this morning 
And the, the exposition that I give you of verses 17 and 18 about wisdom from above and about how that's planting and nurturing and cultivating the garden of peace by the righteousness that comes through God's wisdom, you should go home and you should read the Beatitudes again and say, oh, where do the Beatitudes speak in, about the same things that James is writing about here? Go to Galatians chapter 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. And say, oh, let me do a comparison with what James writes about wisdom from above and the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus or that, that Paul writes about. Or go to 1 Corinthians 13 on agape love and look at the con connection between what James writes here about the uh, wisdom that comes from above and the agape love that the Apostle Paul writes about. It's, it's beneficial, it's helpful to compare Scripture with Scripture in those ways. So what we're going to do is follow up and, and conclude. I, I never intended this to develop into a series. I thought it was going to be a New Year sermon about godly wisdom for the new year. But we got into this passage in James, and I just wanted to explore it more. And so uh, this morning we're going to conclude by looking at what James says about wisdom from above and how that is uh, demonstrated to us through Proverbs and, and uh, the godly wisdom. So we compare the words and the ideas with uh, that which we find in Proverbs just by way of example. It's not exhaustive, but it's a good uh, um, hors d'oeuvre. It's a good sampling to you for looking into the book of Proverbs and not moralizing the book of Proverbs. I, I have a whole other uh, series that I began in Proverbs and that we were doing on Sunday night for a while. And I, I'm so burdened because it seems to me that the book of Proverbs is, is maybe the most abused of Scripture in terms of moralizing, uh, of the idea that, that somehow we can um, determine that this is the way things ought to be and this is what would be good for us and that God is obligated some way to make that happen when that's not the way Proverbs is to be read or understood. But... This morning, we look at verse 17 at what uh, James writes and tells us about wisdom from above. And he says that first, it's pure. And he puts that first in terms of the, the importance of it. Uh, this, this really um, is to be understood as affecting all of the other attributes that, that James writes about here uh, in affecting them in terms of purity. What is it to be pure, to be chaste, clean, or pure, to be sincere, uh, and I think this also is a, a, a contradiction to what was written earlier when, John, uh, when James says, don't be double-minded. Being pure in your thoughts, being not double-minded, not uh, playing word games, not having an insincere uh, motivation, trying to mask. And he goes on to explain some of that and what he says here. So to be pure before God. And uh, the idea is pretty straightforward, and that is something you can see through. You know what, what the difference between a glass that's clean and a glass that's dirty? Uh, uh, talking about a window or a uh, windshield in your car or even picking up a drinking glass. You know the difference between one that's clean, one that's pure, and one that's uh, dirty and soiled. And that's the idea that's being expressed here. Um, a, a good expression from Proverbs is the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. That word abomination is strong. Basically makes God, says makes God want to puke. I know that's kind of graphic, but let's get to the point. Yeah, the thoughts of the wicked make God sick. But the words of the pure are pleasant. So words that come out of a pure mind and heart, words that are not uh, sneaky or deceptive or 
uh, dirty with uh, intent, not holding back secrets. They're clear and to the point and intentional. Uh, He goes on to say that wisdom from above is peaceable. The the word peaceable here has the idea of being ready for peace. What Jesus said to be a peacemaker. What James warned us about not being a troublemaker. So to be peaceable, ready for peace, being a peacemaker. And the Proverbs write, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. They're devising evil and deceit is the way they intend to carry that out from their heart. But counselors of peace... Have joy. What did Jesus say about those who counsel peace? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The the being at peace as a counselor for peace here in joy. Um, I know sometimes it sounds simplistic, but I do like some of the acronyms. And one, uh, joy, J-O-U, Jesus, others, and you. That's a good acronym that we ought to be thinking of in terms of the joy that we desire that pleases God, and the peace that we counsel because we are ready for peace. We want to be peacemakers. That goes along with being gentle. James says the wisdom from above is moderate, it's patient, it's gentle. And from Proverbs we read, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. So wisdom instructs us to fear the Lord in a reverent, holy, honorable, worshiping fear And before honor is humility. What does all the world want? The world's clamoring for respect. I want to be honored. I want attention. I want to be special. And yet what does scripture tell us? Before honor is humility. In the eyes of God, before God, if there is to be respect and honor, it comes through being humbled and one who is gentle and moderate and patient with others in your relationship with them and seeking to emulate and to follow God's Wisdom, God's counsel that is contrary to the world. It's counterintuitive to the flesh. It's a laughing stock by the popular and the powerful. And yet we're told that to be gentle pleases God and that that humility is something that God honors, that God respects. We ought to think about that pretty continually. James goes on to say that wisdom from above is willing to yield. He describes it this way to us as uh, meaning uh, compliant, easy, willing to yield. You know what a yield sign is, don't you? We we have a a road sign, yield. That is, you give way to other traffic. You let them go first. And so willing to yield is easy to be entreated, approachable, teachable. Jesus referred to this as being poor in spirit. And so Proverbs writes and says, The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. You you recognize that, don't you? That the way of the world is power. And so people in power in the world, the rich, and I don't mean just rich in money, but rich in position, rich in influence, rich in uh, some authority, they who have power answer roughly. They're not easy to be entreated. But those who recognize they're poor have to beg. We don't like begging, do we? We don't like the idea of begging. We don't like to ask help. Do you know what the root meaning of the word prayer is? Oops. The root meaning of the word prayer is beg. Do you know that we're to be begging God? God's not obligated to us. 
other than by his own grace, he is given promise and obligation. When he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. That's the obligation that God has to his own character and purpose. And he is pleased that we entreat him, that we pray, that we recognize our impoverished spirit, and that we beg him. That's part of the humility that we're to keep in mind. Keeping our place before God. Not becoming high-minded. Not having an inflated ego. Not being proud and boastful. Proverbs says a whole bunch about all of that. So we are to be poor in spirit before God and one another. Easy to be entreated. Easy to yield. Easy to be teachable. Sometimes it's a matter of being available and approachable to others. James goes on to say, wisdom from above is full of mercy. It's interesting that he, he mentions mercy here, this compassion, but he describes it as being full, ready to overflow, to the top of the brim. If you shake the glass, it'll tip over it, or, or spill over. If you pick up your coffee mug, it runs down the rim because it's full to the brim, full of mercy. Are we full of mercy? Proverbs says, do, not, uh, do they not go astray who devise evil? They're contemplating, they're figuring out, they're scheming evil. But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. They're thinking, they're scheming, they're anticipating good. Are you full of sarcasm? Are you full of scorn? Are you full of dissatisfaction? Or, or are you full of mercy? Are you initially thinking evil? Everybody's out to get me. Everything's against me. I don't trust those people. Or are you thinking mercifully, compassionately, kindly, and wanting to give the benefit of the, of the doubt? We, I know we're not to be Fools. We're not to be foolish. We're to recognize there's evil in the world and we know that people scheme and will take advantage and will do wrong and evil. But how do we balance, on the one hand, being protective of that and that not so jade us that we become full of scorn and bitterness and dissatisfaction? James goes on to say then that uh, the wisdom from above is... Uh, also full of not only mercy, but full of good fruit. It's just a catchphrase. It's so wonderful here. Uh, the fruit is, of course, produce. It could be uh, fruit, vegetables, the, the um, food that comes from the ground, you know, that we eat. Fruit, food, good, healthy food, organic, uh, uh, no, uh, <laughs> no, what is, what is the thing? Um, <laughs> I can't remember the no modified or uh, genetically modified, whatever the big current thing is about, you know, uh, organic stuff. But anyway, that's what James is saying. The good fruit, the good food, it's beneficial. It's healthy. Uh, even the term well is a, one way of uh, translating uh, in context this. That which is well, that which is healthy. And so Proverbs, uh, again, tells us, a man shall eat well, healthy, by the fruit, by the food of his mouth. But the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. Now, you know that one of the um, 
themes in the Bible, one of the motifs that's used over and over is uh, the relationship between good health and food and spiritual good health and spiritual good food. We have it set before us this morning in the Lord's Supper. We have bread and wine that tell us about the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that this bread and this wine cannot give us eternal life. This bread and this wine wonderfully affects our body. It can be healthy and good for our body. It's good for us to have food or our body will die, right? And we want healthy food. We all get that. We, we get the analogy. But the point is, Scripture is telling us there's something that we also need to understand about spiritual good food, that which will keep us well and healthy spiritually. I wish people had as much interest in spiritual good, healthy teaching and doctrine. That's what the word uh, good doctrine means, healthy teaching, I wish they had as much interest and as much attention given to that as they do about the organic craze, about their body. I mean, it's the same thing Paul says about bodily exercise. He says spiritual exercise is more important than bodily exercise. Spiritual healthy food is more important than uh, physical healthy food. If we could just latch on to that. And so J James says here that wisdom from above is good food. It's, it's good fruit. Proverbs says, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. James has a lot to say about the words that we speak. Are they healthy, nourishing words, or are they poisonous words? And so, I think he draw, is drawing on that broad teaching in Proverbs about this very thing. And then he goes on to say that wisdom from above is without partiality. It doesn't show favoritism. Uh, I don't know if this is a still a, a kind of a, a known um, cliche, but when I was growing up, uh, there, there was a cliche that referred to as the teacher's pet, the one that the teacher favored, that in a classroom there might be a student that got particular favor, that was shown favoritism, that was the teacher's pet. That was the des description that was used, and that carried over into our culture into a broader uh, application of someone who receives favoritism over others, someone who is shown partiality. Now, we ask ourselves this question, why would people show partiality? Why would people show favoritism? Why would people curry favoritism for, uh, of others? And, of course, we all know the, the root answer there is for their own glory. <laughs> they do it for their own glory. They want to get something out of it. They want to, as James writes, if you'll remember, James says, if there is a poor man that comes into your uh, assembly and you receive him in, but then a rich and wealthy and powerful person comes in and you ask the, the poor man, oh, uh, sorry, could you step aside? And we want to show the honor. We want to lift up. We want to bow before the rich and powerful. James says, why do you do that? That kind of partiality is sinful because you're wanting to get something out of the rich and powerful rather than trusting God and obeying and honoring God first. It's the way of the world. It doesn't matter whether it was in James' day or our day. The same thing goes on. It's very direct. That's what I was telling you about James being so straightforward about this and giving us multiple examples. And so he's telling us here that the wisdom that is from above, it doesn't show favoritism. It isn't self-serving in that let's curry favor with those that we think can benefit us, which is initially selfish. Proverbs says, These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. I'm sure that we all have our own 
examples of where we feel that we have been unjustly treated because of partiality and favoritism was shown to others. We may have struggled that with ourselves. We may even remember a time when, you know what, I sinned. I showed favoritism to someone for my own selfish intent because I wanted to get something. I showed, I curried favor, and I, 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 I sinned in that, showing favoritism in judgment because I like someone better than someone else. That kind of partiality, that kind of favoritism doesn't come from above. God looks at truth and character and He looks at these things and He tells us about them and says that's the way we're to look at them as well. And He concludes this by saying wisdom from above is without hypocrisy. Started out with it being first and foremost pure and that carries to the conclusion here because hypocrisy is not pure. Hypocrisy is a mask and a pretense. And so the idea of pretending uh, of acting in a an, um, deceitful way, not sincere. I think you know the idea of hypocrisy. And you know that it takes on a moral dimension in Scripture. Hypocrisy isn't just entertaining. We, we, we live in a world of entertainment. We live in a popular culture of entertainment. We're so impressed with entertainers. We, we're going to let entertainers tell us about foreign policy. We're going to let entertainers tell us about moral absolutes. We're going to let entertainers dictate to us public policy. What are we doing? The root word for a hypocrite is actor. You listening to actors? More than you're listening to the word of God? Are you listening to the popular and the powerful? More than you're listening to the word of God? We're awash in it. The, the, the church in, in uh, uh, the United States, and, and I believe elsewhere in the world too, but, but we're awash in popular celebrity. And we're more interested in currying, showing partiality and favoritism to the world and being well thought of by the world than we are about what God categorically says to us with authority in His creation order. And then about redemption. And the fact that there is no redemption, there is no forgiveness of sin without God's holiness being satisfied. And that involves the cross. That involves Jesus dying for sin. And so when we start going in and trying to change the words and lessen the shock and please the the social mores of our particular generation, we're at risk of losing the gospel. That wisdom doesn't come from above. That's trying to find and make favoritism with the world. And this is a kind of challenge that we have from Scripture, and this is what we're facing in our own generation, in our current culture. So about hypocrisy, Proverbs, in 11, Proverbs 11 writes, The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. And that knowledge in the book of Proverbs is connected with wisdom from above. Not the knowledge of the world, but the knowledge that comes from God that the world doesn't understand or receive. And then in Proverbs 26, Fervent lips... With a wicked heart 
The idea of zeal and fervency. Someone who has a cause and, and someone who is just um, constantly uh, vocalizing their cause. Fervent lips. Have you ever heard somebody say uh, that that person's really passionate? Boy, that, that's stirring. That person is so moved. But do you really listen to what they're saying? But fervent lips with a wicked heart. See, the moral dimension. Just because someone is sincere, just because someone is uh, zealous, just because someone really believes in their cause, doesn't make it righteous. The fervent lips of the wicked are like earthenware covered with silver dross. When I read that, I couldn't help but think chrome chrome covered plastic. (laughs) Chrome covered plastic. Have you ever had chrome covered plastic in a, maybe you bought a small uh, appliance or something and it quits working and you look into it and oh, here's a a piece of metal. Oh, wait a minute, that's not metal. That's chrome covered plastic. (laughs) Remember in the cereal box? Maybe I'm telling my age. I used to love to get the cereal box. I know, you know, it didn't, it didn't dawn on me. I guess I was just kind of slow that you opened the bottom of the cereal box first. I always opened the first and poured it out and stuck my hand down in it. Just, just open the bottom of the cereal box first. But you get your decoder ring. You get a ring and it looks like silver. It's shiny and it looks like, uh, like um, chrome. And then you put it on your finger and wear it for half a day and it breaks. It's chrome-covered plastic. What a descriptive (laughs) uh, expression that we have here in Proverbs. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware, clay, covered with silver dross. You know the idea here, is it, don't you? It's fake. It's fake. Maybe that's where the, the, the conclusion of this ought to be, is that the wisdom from below is fake. The world's wisdom fakes as being wise and impressive and know-it-all. The world's wisdom is fake. But the wisdom from above is pure. It's real. And that's where we're challenged, aren't we? To live by faith in what's real and not be fooled by what's fake. That's the best thing I could say to you. Wisdom from above will keep you with the knowledge and the understanding. These are our, um, definitive words that are used in the book of Proverbs in telling us what wisdom from above is about. With knowledge and understanding, it will transfer to you what is real and warn you and protect you from what is fake. But it must be by faith to believe God, whether you can see it or not. And so James concludes with verse 18. Now a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Once again, uh, James concludes this exhortation about wisdom from above by another farming illustration that the Bible is full of. Uh, James has used farming illustrations uh, elsewhere in his writing. But the Bible, and particularly wisdom literature, is full of farming illustrations. And it applies the often repeated biblical truism. You've heard this before. Reaping what is sown. Harvesting what is planted. And that's used for for good or for ill. 
That's used for uh, things that, you know, honor God, sowing to the Spirit, to reap from the Spirit, or sowing to the flesh and reaping from the flesh. Sow to the wind, reap the whirlwind. Uh, so this, this is an expression, and this idea is repeated as a truism throughout Scripture. And so James writes and says, a harvest of righteousness, not just one fruit, but the whole harvest is sown. Where does it start? It starts by being planted and cultivated. How do you receive a harvest? You've got to go out and plow the field. You've got to plant. You've got to uh, tend it. You've got to cultivate it and wait for the um, harvest to come when, the, when the, whatever you've planted is ready to be harvested and, and eaten. So a harvest of righteousness. Do we want righteousness? Do we desire righteousness? Blessed are those who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, Jesus said. Are you here this morning with a hunger and a desire for the righteousness of God in the midst of a, of a wicked and perverse and crooked world and generation in which we live? We hear their crookedness day in and day out. We hear the perversity. It's nonstop. Are we just going to accommodate it? Are we just going to get along with it? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness and a, a harvest of righteousness? James says it comes by sowing peace. How do we plant peace? How do we sow and cultivate peace? By being peacemakers. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, living by wisdom from above, being at peace with God. This is not being at peace with the world. Uh, Francis Schaeffer said many, many years ago, a generation or more ago, I mean, he put his finger on it. He said uh, the, the Christian, evangelical Christian community in the United States is 3,000 miles wide and a half inch deep because the main focus is on personal peace and, a, and affluence. I just want to have a good life and don't want to be bothered. That's what we often think about this peace. Here, the idea that, that we have peace. Oh, let's have peace with the world. I just don't want to be bothered. I want to get along. I want to have a good, comfortable living. And I just don't want to be bothered by these things. That's not what James is talking about here. I believe James is reflecting again from wisdom literature and from Proverbs. I can't say that he had this particular proverb in mind, but the theme and the idea is well expressed in Proverbs 18. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. And James tells us what that sure reward of sowing righteousness is. Now a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James identifies the sure reward that grows out of a right relationship with the Lord to be soul peace in a conflicted world, in a sin-conflicted world. And that's why my initial intent and purpose was to say godly wisdom for living in a new year. Godly wisdom for living by faith in a new year. Because in the world, you're going to have trouble. In the world, we're going to constantly be faced with rebellion against God and hatred for God and rejection of the wisdom of God. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. My peace I give to you. My peace I live with you, leave with you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And James is saying to us, the harvest of righteousness. What comes? The, the bountiful overflow of a right relationship with God and living by faith in right 
fellowship with God is sown in peace. Who is the peacemaker? Jesus is the peacemaker. He is the mediator. It's His mediating for us continually that keeps us as peace with God in a world that is at conflict and war with God and the things of God. And that's why James writes so explicitly. His exhortations are powerful. He doesn't mince his words. He draws on and applies wisdom, wisdom from above, by which we are to live by faith each day. Part of the wisdom from above is to understand the meaning of this Lord's Supper. And Scripture tells us that we are to receive this Lord's Supper with understanding. We're to be able to discern the Lord's uh, body and blood. We're to understand that this is symbolic. We're not to be confused that this bread or this cup turn into the physical body and blood of Jesus. That's foolishness and idolatry. We understand that these are symbolic of a greater reality, the reality of Jesus' incarnation and of his, of his substitutionary death and his, the power of His resurrection and the fact that His mediatorial um, ministry for us is that His blood cleanses us from all sin. Jesus doesn't have to be sacrificed again. Oh, isn't that, doesn't that stir you with me beyond words to express gratitude that Jesus doesn't need to be sacrificed again? 